This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Very excited for today's show. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. We're going to start off here in just a moment by talking with Brian Ernest, the Ernst, the lead protein market researcher there at Cobank. We're going to talk about what's happening in the protein space. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with Ken Simonson. He's the chief economist at Associated General Contractors. We're going to talk about just what construction pricing has been doing here as we go through 2022. And then in segment three, we're going to check in with Beth Breeding. She's the vice president of communications with the National Turkey Federation. They have a bunch of growers in Washington, D.C. this week conferring with legislators. And we're going to talk about what points the turkey growers are bringing to D.C. And finally, we're going to close the show by talking with Sarah McKay. She's the director of market development at the National Corn Growers. We're going to talk about a challenge that's coming to encourage new uses for corn out there in the countryside. But let's start with a look at protein. Brian Ernest joins us today. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to come on AOA with us today. Hi, Mike. Nice to talk with you again. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk about what's going on in the protein space. Brian, we talk pork, we talk beef a lot on this show, but I, with you, I want to start off talking poultry. How has the chicken market held up here in the first half of 2022? Well, things, uh, you know, things look pretty good in terms of, uh, you know, what we typically see leading into the grilling period. Um, you know, we, we've, uh, the consumer has taken on inflation, uh, you know, throughout their daily lives, higher gas prices and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, chicken kind of being the value protein has seen a lot of support both at retail and food service this year. So, um, you know, it's boiling up to some very strong market conditions in terms of uh, breast meat prices and, and what we're seeing in the wholesale markets there. Um, so, you know, really overall, uh, at least the chicken side of the, the menu has done quite well this year. You know, thinking about poultry, Brian, of course, we've got that strong demand. And I imagine with recession fears driving headlines, you'd expect to see chicken demand stay strong for the remainder of this year. Is that right? Yeah, that is the expectation. Um, you know, looking throughout the meat complex uh, in, in, in terms of production, um, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, weaning cattle supplies potentially as we get into 2023. Production's up there a little bit, uh, still here in the, the springtime frame. I uh, see them over on the hog side. Um, you know, there's an expectation that we'll have tighter pork supply. So um, it's it's kind of up to chicken to, to lead the way if, if we're going to have, um, you know, more more to offer for consumers on their plates. Um, and for the here and now, uh, it, it appears the, the industry is challenged with uh, growing production um, you know, at least through midway in the year. So the back half of the year is still yet to be seen, but um, overall domestic and, and export markets, very, very strong for, uh, for broiler integrators. All right. And as for those integrators looking to expand, Brian, is the hang-up getting chicks? Is the hang-up construction? Is the hang-up financing? Why aren't we seeing expansion with prices where they are? A little bit of all of the above, um, you know, and we've got rising interest rates as well, right? So it, financing um, is, is uh, you know, one of those things that uh, plays into, um, you know, that, that thought process of building new plant capacity. Uh, what we have seen is expansion in the further process segment. So, um, you know, the, not necessarily the, uh, the primary processing, but, um, you know, the, the, the breaded and, and, you know, that line where uh, it's, it's prepared food for, uh, for food service or the retail segment. So, um, you know, that puts even more stress on the primary processing because we're not seeing as much expansion there like we have seen in the past. You know, um, uh, last five years we've seen a pretty strong expansion in the primary processing. Looking over at eggs, of course, the other the other product of chickens, what has happened in the layer space, particularly coming out of the high path avian influenza outbreak, Brian? That has been, uh, a, you know, an issue that has top, reared its ugly head again this year, right? Uh, high path AI um, has uh, has impacted poultry. 
Um, and what we're seeing is, uh, you know, from an egg layer standpoint, um, you know, there, there's been a, a massive reduction in the amount of layer capacity available, um, you know, somewhere around 7% from the peaks that we saw in 2019. So it's not necessarily all tied to HPAI, uh, but overall we've seen some contraction um, in, in the amount of egg layers available this year. Uh, and that is leading some tight supply situation uh, from an egg standpoint here in a period that we don't typically see it. Um, you know, the summer period is, is typically somewhat of a lull uh, for, for egg disappearance, but it's been very strong. And I think the inflation plays into that as well, right? Uh, consumers are looking for another value protein item that they can put in their basket, and eggs has historically uh, really fit that bill being, you know, somewhere around a dollar a dozen or so. But um, uh, we're seeing wholesale markets rise to historic rates uh, for for eggs here, and um, you know that is expected to continue. Uh, in in 2015, last time we had a, a major outbreak of HPAI in the United States, um, you know egg prices held held strong for you know kind of the end of the summer period, and then they started to ease back. But um, right now, it, it looks like they're going to have um, some difficulty rebuilding the the flock here um, in 2022. All right. Well, thanks. Speaking of rebuilding, looking over at the pork industry, Brian, we have seen the pig crop shrink drastically in this country since COVID first kind of came to our shores. Do you think that industry is going to turn around this year? We're going to see the pig crop start to grow again? It doesn't appear quite yet. Um, You know, I'm uh, a little bit hesitant to look for growth in terms of hog availability in uh, in 2022. Um, USDA, uh, in their latest uh, quarterly hogs and pigs report um, put the breeding herd about three percent lower than a year ago uh, for uh, you know for the uh, or lower than 2019 value. So thinking back to, to pre-HP or pre-COVID levels. Um, so overall, the implications there are you know we're we're going to see some some tighter supplies uh, from hog perspective here nearby. They're also dealing with uh, uh, purrs in uh, in in uh, this, um, the hog sector as well. Um, you know, that's a uh, kind of a uh, endemic viral disease that, uh, you know, it, it impacts the early stages of growing uh, the pigs. And, 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 you know, that on top of just a, a tighter breeder stock is, uh, is overall impacting uh, availability. So with tight supplies and again being a, a relatively cheaper protein there in the grocery case, do you see demand for pork staying strong for the remainder of this year? Yeah, the cutout value um, appears to be holding up pretty good. Uh, you know, I've, I've been looking at the uh, most recent values on the ham, hams and, uh, you know, loins, and, and that complex seems to be doing pretty good here through mid-year. We typically um, start to see some of those cuts uh, wane off a little bit during the summer months. Um, but overall, the uh, the wholesale cutout value, I was, I was looking at, um, you know, just the year-to-date through June, it was up 30% from the five-year average. Uh, so, um, you know, the, the valuation that the, the processors, are, processors are receiving uh, seems to be pretty good still, and, and that is uh, prompting some stronger demand for pause at a time when we have All right, we are seeing that U.S. consumers spend that money. Our thanks to Brian Ernest, the animal protein researcher at CoBank. They have just released their quarterly economic report. Just Google up CoBank Knowledge Exchange and you'll find it there. Brian, thank you for joining us today on AOA. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll talk to Ken Simonson about construction costs when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in to AOA the first Wednesday of every month to hear from the National Corn Growers Association in our new segment, The Monthly Grind. NCGA is made up of nearly 40,000 members, and, you know, of that, there's more corn farmers that pay dues into checkoffs, and NCGA manages it with the staff in St. Louis and in D.C. here. We get together, we have the action teams that the officers, John Linder, Chris Edgington, Tom Hegg put together, and we bring everybody's ideas together. And whether you're a small state, a big state, whether you're interested in livestock, new usage, ethanol, everything comes together here. We talk. It's kind of that clearinghouse where all the ideas come together. And, it, you know, it's been done since, um, you know, NCJ was founded in 1957. So it's very important that uh, 
we have that one voice. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, we just heard from Brian Ernest there at CoBank talking about the, the wishes of poultry producers to expand. The market incentives are there, but there are some headwinds. Of course, inflationary cost pressures are one of those things, and they have certainly impacted the cost of construction, which is vital if we're hoping to expand animal agriculture. I wanted to get an update on the construction industry and how that industry is faring here in the summer of 2022. So joining us next is Ken Simonson. He's the chief economist over at the Associated General Contractors. And Ken, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. You're welcome. Glad to be with you. Before we get into the data, Ken, tell us about AGC. What aspects of construction do you work with? Uh, the members of Associated General Contractors of America, and there are 27,000 firms that uh, belong through a network of 89 local and state chapters. Those companies do every kind of construction other than single-family home building. Uh, so for many of them, uh, agricultural and food processing construction is an important part of their business. So, Ken, let's talk about some trends in the construction space. It seems like this past year we have just seen the cost to get anything built continues to climb. Given the recent setbacks we've seen in a lot of commodities, is that still the case? Are prices still rising for, uh, for folks looking to build? Well, the situation has gotten a lot more complicated. Uh, some folks are seeing a break in prices. For instance, lumber costs have come down dramatically from their all-time highs of a year ago and some kinds of steel prices are starting to tumble also. So that may be uh, good for someone who's uh, putting up a shed or a, a silo. Uh, on the other hand, we're still seeing a lot of supply chain disruptions. So uh, getting projects finished is a real challenge. And some materials are still rising in price. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, gypsum producers have said that they're going to be sharply raising the price of wallboard and uh, other things related to it uh, either uh, this week or the 1st of August. And uh, concrete prices are also going up more than has been the uh, norm for this time of year. 
All right, so these pressures are still filtering through the system on the supply chain front. Ken, are we hearing immediate concerns about uh, supplies not getting to where they need to be via rail issues or trucking issues, or are these still mostly import issues of stuff coming to our coasts? It's really kind of product specific. There are a variety of things that have been affecting the supply chain, unexpected plant breakdowns, and then inability to get the parts to fix those on time. Uh, Of course, the one that's gotten the most attention in the last year, I think, is the uh, lack of computer chips for sophisticated uh, vehicles. And as farm operators know, that would include also construction and ag machinery uh, depends a lot on those uh, semiconductor chips. So uh, some of it is just not having enough capacity in the right uh, place, and uh, some of it does uh, relate to transport. There are two concerns I have about uh, the transportation piece going forward. Uh, Right now, uh, port operators and uh, stevedores on the West Coast are working without a contract. They say they will keep working, but in the past we've had some wildcat strikes there or we've had lockouts that have shut down uh, port activity. And then uh, the whole railroad uh, system, the freight railroad uh, employees have been uh, going without uh, current contract for quite some time, and we're sort of into extra innings on, on the mediation or negotiation process there. So uh, no immediate threat, but uh, definitely one to keep an eye on. It is indeed. That is something we all need to keep an eye on because that will impact nearly every sector of the American economy if we see those strikes do start to flare up in the co- uh, on the ports. Now, Ken, as, as you're thinking about the challenges facing the industry, I mean, one challenge we hear a lot in agriculture, I'm sure it's no different in construction, it's labor availability. Are we seeing that get to a point where it's actually constraining construction projects because they don't have the help? Yes, I hear that all the time from contractors that uh, they can't find enough workers, and government data confirms that. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, puts out a series that has my favorite acronym for data, JOLTS, the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, and that has been showing month after month all year long that job openings at the end of the month have been the highest ever for that month. So the most recent data, for instance, was for May, and there were 466,000 unfilled jobs in construction. That was more than the industry was able to hire during the entire month of May. And so the implication is the industry would have brought on twice as many workers if they'd been available. Uh, But... um, As with some parts of agriculture, construction relies very heavily on foreign-born workers, and uh, the number of those workers who have come into the country has really dropped sharply. Uh, In addition, more people are retiring than coming into the industry. So I think this is going to be the longest-lasting challenge for contractors. And any time we hear massive shortages, in employment. The flip side of that, Ken, seems to be much higher wages to entice people to come into that field. Are we seeing that play out in construction? Have there been substantial wage increases over this past year? Substantial, and yet other industries have raised wages even more. I'm sure uh, all of the listeners have uh, experienced uh, those signs uh, at fast food places or maybe uh, ads uh, uh, talking about uh, much higher starting pay at uh, restaurants, at uh, local uh, warehouses or local trucking. And uh, so uh, those industries suddenly have become more competitive. Construction has always paid a premium uh, to get people to work uh, in all kinds of weather and start work much earlier than I like to get up in the morning. Uh, And that premium has shrunk from 20 to 23 percent over the last couple of decades to now about 17 and a half percent. And while that may not sound like a big difference, it does seem to be uh, keeping people from even applying for construction jobs. So I think the implication here is the contractors will have to raise pay even more. They're going to be paying more overtime for the workers they have. And they'll be looking for other solutions such as prefabrication in a factory or uh, more automation, uh, robotics, uh, 3D printing, drones on the job site. But uh, there's nothing simple. 
<laughs> no, there, there certainly isn't. There never is when we're dealing with this kind of issue. And Ken, I'm curious, as you look out over 2022 on into 2023, we have a lot of federal money set to roll itself into the infrastructure construction space. At the same time, we're seeing a lot of other industry look to build out just regular general construction. Are these issues, this tightness in labor and in supply, going to get worse before it gets better? Well, my crystal ball is too cloudy to say that for sure, but uh, you've listed uh, two of the areas that I see continuing, in fact, rising demand for construction. The third I'd mention is uh, power-related construction, whether it's uh, solar fields, or offshore and onshore wind, uh, needing to build new storage capacity for uh, all of that power, and then, of course, battery charging stations. At the same time, we're starting to see a dramatic slowdown in single-family home construction, and that may free up some workers. Now, not everybody who can uh, put up walls in a house can uh, work on a high-rise or, or on a wind farm, but uh, nevertheless, I, I think that will um, mean some rotation in where the demand for construction labor is coming and also for some of the materials. So uh, I would say expect continued volatility, expect continued high prices, delayed projects in some cases. Whether it gets better or worse, still too early to say. That depends in part on how quickly that infrastructure money actually turns into projects on the ground. That's a good point. When we're waiting on Uncle Sam, these things kind of come when when they come, whenever that might be. Uh, Ken, you touched on something there. As, as we get into this next year, as, as, as more and more folks start to grapple with the tightness here throughout the economy, how do you see construction labor holding up, particularly in rural areas? Is that going to be an extra concern? You know, some rural areas have certainly benefited from uh, people leaving cities, uh, but uh, I think uh, we may see some swing back over the next year. So uh, it's far from assured that the recent population growth that some rural areas have experienced is going to continue or uh, even uh, stay uh, at current levels. So I do think that rural areas overall are going to see more of the same challenges they've experienced for decades of uh, population uh, moving away more than moving into those places. Absolutely. That is the risk we confront in rural America. Folks, we've been talking to Ken Simonson. He is the chief economist at Associated General Contractors, bringing us up to speed on the issues at play in the construction industry. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. Uh, glad to do it, and uh, I encourage people to look at agc.org for lots of free information about construction. Absolutely. Lots of great data there, folks, if you want to dig into this a little bit further. Stick with us. We're going to have more AOA coming up. We're going to talk with Beth Breeding of the Na National Turkey Federation about their visits with legislators this week in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here so far this morning, we see the grain market still remaining mostly in the red. Wheat has turned its way around, though, trading to the upside. Another strong week of weekly export sales for wheat. 
Corn is doing its best to come off the lows with the soybean market also a little bit off the lows, but still feeling the pressure here again today as we watch that weather forecast indeed becoming a little less threatening as we move into next week. That's going to be the big key to watch here moving forward if that forecast does verify trying to test some of these early July lows with that forecast looking less threatening with rain chances in the central and eastern Corn Belt and the western Corn Belt getting some relief from the heat that we've seen the last couple of weeks here. Now also watching on the wheat side, trying not to fall back too far without a concrete agreement signed between all parties on the Black Sea Export Corridor, but that remains to be seen. So you have all of those supply factors getting the push-pull with the financial sector. The European Central Bank did push through that more aggressive 50 basis point interest rate hike this morning, their first rate increase in 11 years after rumors of the larger increase earlier in the week. And we're also going to be watching next week as the Fed here in the U.S. has their meeting, and we're expecting at least a 75 basis point rate hike from the Fed to try and curb inflation. A few numbers in the trade. We see wheat for Chicago, September up four and a half, eight twenty-four. September KC wheat up three and a half, eight seventy-four. Spring wheat September down two and a half, nine twenty-one to three quarters. September corn seven to three quarters lower, five eighty-four and a half. August soybeans eighteen and a quarter lower, fourteen thirty and three quarters. Moderate losses in bean meal and bean oil. August live cattle up thirty, one thirty-six oh five. Feeder cattle for August down fifty, one seventy-seven thirty-two. August hogs up one ninety, one sixteen seventy-seven. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed at this time. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Thursday. It is July 21st, folks. It is summertime. This November is a big midterm election in Washington, D.C., which makes this a great time to get to D.C. to get your points in front of your legislators. And farmers have been taking advantage of that. We talked to corn growers who were in D.C. last week. I know soybean producers were in D.C. last week. Ethanol producers were there. And this week... Turkey growers are visiting their legislators and regulators in Washington, D.C. Joining me to bring us up to speed on the topics under discussion is Beth Breeding. She's the vice president of communications at the National Turkey Federation. Beth, bring us up to speed. How many growers do you have in D.C. this week? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we just wrapped up uh, yesterday uh, our event in Washington, D.C. We had about 120 uh, members of the turkey industry. That included uh growers, folks from the processing side, and even uh, some of our allied members who support the industry. So a really great turnout uh, to talk about some important issues. Well, and the turkey industry has not had a calm year. Of course, they were rocked by the HPAI outbreak earlier in this year. Beth, what issues are they bringing to D.C.? Yeah, you're right. Uh, It has certainly been a challenging year, uh, starting with the avian influenza outbreak back in February. And um, as you can imagine, that was absolutely our number one topic of discussion uh, with members of Congress and regulators uh, talking about essentially how they can uh, continue to support uh, not only their response, which is absolutely critical, but also uh, continued emphasis on prevention and uh, looking for ways to Uh, make sure that we're able to detect this virus, but also understand it better and hopefully get ahead of it. 
Yeah, that is the key. Keeping it off these farms in the first place is the ultimate goal. But Beth, you mentioned the response. How is how is cleanup? How is the industry faring as HPAI, you know, hopefully continues to fade into the rearview mirror? Yeah, that's what we're hoping to. Um, you know, it, we have seen a number of cases. Um, we had, you know, not seen anything for, for several weeks. And then uh, last week we did have another detection um, out in Utah. Um, so further out west, away from some of the, the places where we'd really seen it popping up this spring. Um, but we're really hopeful that uh, we continue to see that number go down. Um, you know, it is a significant loss for the industry. We've lost about five and a half million turkeys uh, so far from it this year. Um, but I will say that, you know, we have learned a lot from past outbreaks back in 2015, 2016. And I think by applying those lessons learned, um, having a great working relationship with uh, USDA and local animal health, state animal health officials, I think that really has helped um, with the impact that this has had on our industry. Um, we have have lost fewer birds this outbreak than we did um, back in 2015, 2016, um, and a you know much smaller loss. And we hope that it stays that way. Absolutely. You know, it's it's never good. To, it's, it's Sometimes it can be hard to find a silver lining in an event like an HBAI outbreak. But you're right, Beth, the, the community responded very well. The, the, the response keeps getting more smooth. What would turkey growers like to see in addition as we go into the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing that we're looking at on the kind of prevention um, detection side is additional funding and support for wild bird surveillance across all of the major flyways in the U.S. Um, so that we can know, you know, when migration is maybe taking up some of this uh, virus load in, in the atmosphere and around farms potentially. I think that would be a huge support. So absolutely ask Congress uh, for more help with that, um, but also making sure that funding is available um, for indemnity to continue to mitigate the impact of this um, and make sure that, uh, you know, we can continue to depopulate these flocks to control the disease, uh, but also that there's some support for our growers. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting. You oh, yeah. you brought up the the wild bird testing there, and and I know that is how HPI is introduced in a lot of ways to these farms. Are we currently doing a wild bird testing program that you'd like to see expanded, or would this be a, a whole new program that uh, turkey growers would like to see created? Yeah, this would this would be expanding. Um, their APHIS is uh, USDA APHIS is already doing a lot of this, um, and it's a great early warning system. Uh, for the introduction of this in the various flyways in the U.S. I think that we would like to continue to see some enhanced actions there, uh, more routine sampling, so that we can really have a good idea of, of where this virus is. Gotcha. Make it a little more comprehensive. Exactly. All right. Do we have an idea on what that would cost and what's been the reception so far as this gets brought up? You know, I, I don't have an idea of the cost. Um, I think we would just be looking for some additional support for it. Uh, and I think folks understand that. Uh, everyone wants to figure out a way that we can kind of, you know, get ahead of this, know that it's coming. Uh, and I think that that has been well received, as well as our, our interest in additional research and um, innovation to help us better understand the virus, you know, why why it does what it does and how some strains can maybe be more virulent than others. So I think there's a lot of interest and in definitely uh, that, that prevention, that research, um, just kind of getting our, our hands around this really big issue. That is certainly the case. But Turkey, this is a very big industry, encompasses everything from growers through processors through consumers. And Beth, on the processor front, you know, we just talked about mm -hmm. labor in the construction industry with Ken Simonson. I've got to imagine in meat processing that labor has been an issue as well for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, labor is one of those issues uh, that doesn't doesn't go away. Uh, it was an issue for us prior to the COVID pandemic, uh, continues to be today. Uh, there are a lot of jobs available um, in processing plants, um, all different types of jobs, uh, but there just aren't folks available to fill them. So that is actually something that we talked a lot about with members of Congress, just the need for 
a really concerted push and a legislative solution to this. Um, process, uh, meat and poultry processing actually isn't eligible to use the agriculture guest worker program right now. So, um, you know, we would love to see some sort of legislative fix that would allow us to do that and to get access to labor uh, that we're not able to find currently. That's a really interesting point there, Beth. You can't use the guest labor provisions for processing plants? Right. Uh, that is not included in it. Um, and our work is really year-round, and it's more for seasonal employees. Okay. Does it sound like there might be any action on immigration here in the future? Did you get positive responses as this was being brought up? As you know, this is a topic that... Uh, we've been talking about for a long time in Congress, and, and I think that there is interest in proceeding. Um, it's just a really difficult one to get consensus on. So we're going to continue uh, beating the drum and trying to get folks to, uh, to you know, understand the issues and how, the, how they can help. Um, but, you know, we really, really are um, urging Congress to, to continue working on this. Um, but I can't say that they're going to solve it next week, but it absolutely needs to be part of the conversation. That's a good point. There's a lot of pressure from all sorts of different directions, but <laughs> Congress works on its own schedule. Um, Beth, yes. uh, let's talk environment. <laughs> of course, that is very important under this administration. We're seeing a lot of focus on the environmental impact of agriculture. Are there any environmental concerns that turkey growers are taking to D.C.? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, in general, um, this administration has been very focused on environmental issues, and we're starting to see more of those coming out. Um, I'm sure you're familiar, your listeners are familiar with the waters of the U.S., the WOTUS rule. Uh, that's something that we're tracking. Um, we think that it's really important that there's a regulatory environment that is conducive to, to agriculture, that, you know, is supportive of agriculture. It doesn't necessarily prevent us from being able to do a very important job of feeding American families. So, uh, you know, we're hopeful that members of Congress will hear that and, uh, you know, just continue to make sure that some of these rules and regulations aren't overbearing or, you know, needlessly restrictive. Right. Let's go where the science guides us, but let's not go too much further yeah. than that. Let's talk Farm Bill, Beth. We're gearing up once we get oh, through this yeah. election. Farm Bill will be front and center. Anything turkey growers are pushing for in this next bill? You know what? We have talked a lot about Farm Bill um, this past week on Capitol Hill because back in the 2018 bill, uh, the National Turkey Federation was a major advocate for the National Animal Disease Preparedness and Response Program that was created in that bill. Um, and looking ahead, uh, that is still a major priority for us. It, it helps us uh, get prepared for things like avian influenza, uh, even African swine fever if you're looking at other, um, you know, at, pol at pork. So we want to make sure that there are these different tools available through the farm bill that really prioritize biosecurity, um, you know, and being able to, to respond quickly to any of these threats. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, folks understand that. We've seen some real-world examples of it this past year, and uh, we're hopeful that that uh, can be carried into the Farm Bill discussions in the coming months. All right. Those discussions will start heating up. Beth, we wish you the best before we let you go. For listeners who maybe want to learn a little bit more about Turkey, where can they find the National Turkey Federation online? Absolutely. Our website is eatturkey.org, uh, and you can find us on social media. Just look for National Turkey Federation. Uh, we've got a lot of great facts about the industry and some wonderful turkey recipes, too. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. We've been talking to Beth Breeding, the Vice President of Communications there at the National Turkey Federation. Beth, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk to Sarah McKay of the National Corn Growers about a challenge coming to encourage new uses for corn. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. 
not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Tune in to AOA the first Wednesday of every month to hear from the National Corn Growers Association in our new segment, The Monthly Grind. NCGA is made up of nearly 40,000 members. And, you know, of that, there's more corn farmers that pay dues into checkoffs. And NCGA manages it with the staff in St. Louis and in D.C. here. We get together, we have the action teams that the officers, John Linder, Chris Edgington, Tom Hegg put together, and we bring everybody's ideas together. And whether you're a small state, a big state, whether you're interested in livestock, new usage, ethanol, everything comes together here. We talk. It's kind of that clearinghouse where all the ideas come together. And, it, you know, it's been done since, um, you know, NCJ was founded in 1957. So it's very important that... Uh, we have that one voice. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, last week's meeting of corn growers in Washington, D.C. continues to produce a bumper crop of ideas and ways in which to improve the corn industry. One of the topics under discussion was new uses for corn. Sarah McKay is the National Corn Growers Association Director of Market Development. And Sarah, you had the opportunity to be in D.C. with a group of corn growers. Tell me, who were you there working with? We had the market development action team among many of our other action teams gathered this week. Um, the market development action team, we talked everything from animal agriculture programs and partnerships to trade and new uses. So we had quite quite a lot going on this week. Excited. We'll be bringing the monthly grind once a month here on AOA, working with the market development team at NCJ. And Sarah, I've got to ask, consider corn challenge. Is it coming back for a fourth yes. iteration? Yes, we are getting ready to launch the fourth consider corn challenge. That was one of the topics that the market development action team talked about this week. For the past several years, we've had three different consider corn challenge winners with a total of 15 different winners. And I think the exciting part is if all 15 winners were to be fully commercialized, um, so think in the next decade or so, that could be um, over 3 billion bushels of corn of potential use. So a lot of opportunity there, really exciting. Again, that's if they all get fully commercialized, but um, lots of opportunity there and everything from plastic applications to sustainable aviation fuel to uh, the carbon fiber shell of your car. Lots of opportunity. That is incredible. Sarah, what have been some of the competing iterations in the Consider Corn challenges of the past? How have innovators and entrepreneurs used corn in new, new yeah, ways? Yeah, so one of the um, most recent winners of our third Consider Corn challenge, Lacquerol Technologies, they make a bioacrylic acid. So think um, the, the inside filling of a baby diaper, the absorbency um, application. They are able to replace the petroleum based um, application for that and with a bio-based one made from corn. And so this is a really exciting opportunity, um, you know, for, for that market, but it can also be used in a whole host of other everyday products. One other winner that we had from the second Consider Corn Challenge, Exopolymer, they've gone on to scale up. They've launched a lot of different partnerships. They've gotten SBIR grants um, and they make um, a hyaluronic acid. So if you go into any, uh, maybe your your wife or your, your friend or your daughter's medicine cabinet, she probably has some face cream that has hyaluronic acid that is super um, moisturizing application, usually made from petroleum. This can be made from corn so that you have glowing skin. Interesting. And sir, you said something twice right there that I think is just crucial for folks to think about, which is these products are replacing petroleum. This idea to decarbonize things and, and get petroleum fossil fuel products out of medicine cabinets and household items is real. Are you hearing more demand come from potential partners for Absolutely. corn growers? Absolutely. So we just had our big value chain stakeholder meeting where we brought together folks from Walmart, um, some of the major uh, yum brands, for example. We had technology providers like our consider corn challenge winners, they're hearing this from their customers, they're hearing it from their investors. Um, and we really are, are really shaped up with the right um, confluence of consumer need, investor need and demand, as well as the technology is there now to provide a lot of these solutions. So the timing is right. The timing's right. And I imagine there's a lot of enthusiasm for corn from corn growers to find more uses for our products. Absolutely. As our corn growers become more Well, folks, apologies for that. I think we I think we just lost Sarah there. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going on. We'll try to get Sarah back on the line here in just a second. But in the meantime, I, I did want to talk about that Consider Corn Challenge. Folks, do Google it up. Check out NCJ. That announcement will be coming very, very soon. And it is going to be very neat to see what kind of new developments can be developed here utilizing corn at decarbonization push. It sounds like it's going to be with us for a while. And well, vegetable oils, corn oils, a great solution for replacing some petroleum based oils. I did want to talk about something else that crossed the transom yesterday. We've got the first real test of the plant based meat market in quite some time. This was a trend in a, a space in, I guess, agriculture that was hotly talked about heading into the pandemic. We saw Impossible Foods, all these other fake meat alternate protein 
products come on the market, and then they they kind of fell backwards. We started to see some fast food chains pull their uh, their plant based protein patties out. They weren't selling nearly as well as folks would have anticipated throughout the pandemic. So that whole space has seen rather muted investment. But we saw really its first move yesterday. A steak maker, a plant-based steak maker called Meaty, Meaty spelled with an I, makes steaks and chicken cutlets out of mushrooms. Mycelium is their blank canvas is what they call it. It makes up 95 to 97% of their products. It is a mushroom root that they then squeeze together into a product that resembles a steak or a product that resembles a chicken cutlet. And uh, they are currently selling these. They just received funding for an additional $150 million in funding. This values the company at $650 million. That's doubled its valuation here in the past year. However, it's worth noting that interest in this space still seems fairly subdued from the investors' classes. It's noted that Meaty charges $8 for two of its faux chicken cutlets, and they charge $10 for two of these—I don't really even want to call them steaks— mushroom-based patties that they they market as a steak replacement product. And at the end of the day, analysts are saying— that's a tough sell unless the buyer is already committed to a plant-based protein diet it's tough to make the economic argument when you go into the grocery store to see chicken which as we talked with brian Ernest earlier in the show has seen some price increases but it's still way cheaper than two breasts for seven bucks and likewise on the steak side why would i spend the premium for this uh this meaty product so it is still a space that investors are putting money but it's not quite the growth magnet that i think a lot of these investors thought when they first started to pile into it and as somebody who tries a lot of these uh, various alternate protein burgers i can tell you in my experience i haven't tried the one for meaty uh quite yet but i can tell you they 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 haven't yet cracked the taste bug for me as nothing quite beats the real deal in my opinion whether we're talking pork beef or poultry folks thanks for tuning in to aoa today we'll be back tomorrow we're going to dig into the dairy sector with tanner emke of cobank so do be sure to join us then we hope you have a safe day and we look forward to you being part of us tomorrow take care everybody This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison Help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save Poison Help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222.